Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is Monday, May 17th, and we gather this next hour around the gift of the Holy Scriptures, and we put on our Christ goggles as he has ascended on high this ascension. Well, is it ascension season? I don't know. I'll ask Pastor Boyce Claire when we get there, and he gives us the power by the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. This light of Christ shines on us today from 1 Kings chapter 17, a chapter that you don't really know of right offhand, but it is vital in the Holy Scriptures as we see a new prophet who appears that tells us of Elijah. Elijah is described in Luke chapter 1 as having power to make ready the coming of the Lord like John the Baptist. If he is able to do all this, it's probably important for us to perk up our ears and see once again what our Lord has in store. What a joyous morning it is to be in God's word, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you for tuning us in on this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A special thanks to our friends from Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's word, we have with us a regular guest, Pastor David Boyce-Claire of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Church in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Pastor Boyce-Claire, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. That's my pleasure. It's a wonderful day to be in the Lord and As, in His Word. In His Word, absolutely. Absolutely. As Pastor Boyce-Claire, we, we've had a number of talks this last week, and we just got past uh-huh. Ascension. And when you get to Ascension, it is a, a season that is, or a, a day that is often neglected or forgotten. Um, but I'm finding a little more of a comeback. But I wanted to ask you, as you do your homework, and I love how you do, uh, Ascension, why is it important for us as Christian people? Well, it, it's Christ keeping his promise to us. He says, Lo, I am with you all the days, even unto the end of the world. Because the scripture says, He ascended on high that he might fill all things. And he's not with us, not only with his spirit or in some spirit way, he is also with his his humanity, with his body and his blood in the Holy Supper. He's with us with his humanity uh, everywhere we deal with, with uh, you know, our God. That's why Luther kind of made it a point. There is no other God that is gracious and merciful to us than God, the only Son, who is uh, incarnate in, in our Lord Jesus Christ. And and of course, in, in doing that, it continues to the completion of our redemption. Mm-hmm. And so he, he ascends on high, and then he, say, he gives gifts to men. He says to his disciples in the upper room, it's, it's to your advantage that I'm going away, because I'm going to send you uh, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, of course... Uh, you know, is the power the power of God, uh, in, and of course, it's it's a person. It's not just a force. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the one that uh, creates the church through the Word and sacrament, and and uh, so so Jesus. It, it's just uh, again another emphasis on how Jesus keeps His promises. It takes us out. It takes, of course, the church that He has prepared during the forty days after Easter out of the time of seeing because he is taking away his visible presence. He doesn't take away the presence of his humanity. He just simply is not visible mm, to us. Mm-hmm. And, and so he's still with us, with his body, and his, and his being man, God and man in, in, you know, in one person. But he is no longer visible to us. So then it is the time of hearing. And so as mm. he, he encourages us with the words, blessed are those who have... Uh, not seen and yet believe. And though we have not seen him, we love him 
And it is now the time of hearing, for faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the proclamation of the risen and ascended Christ. So that, that kind of boils it down a little bit. That is, it is a wonderful overview, because I like how you said, it's a time of hearing, and obviously that's what we're, we are about at KFUO, but you know, KFUO is not here to support itself, it's here to support the church, and so we hear that message once again in our churches, and I like how one person emphasized the point. We will say, especially as biblical Christians, we will say that Christ physically resurrected from the dead, and that's an important thing for us to say. It wasn't a spiritual resurrection. It was a physical um, time in history that he did, a physical resurrection. Same way he said uh, Christ died and physically rose and physically ascended meaning he still has a body. Um, his body is up there with the Lord, but somehow the mystery of all of these things that he is still physically with us. And so what we depend on is what we hear, knowing our Lord keeps his promises. That's a wonderful um, um, rundown. We had Ascension service yesterday. I know some are able to do it on Ascension Day, which was last Thursday, but we do it on Sunday. And it's a real blessing um, to be able to say those things because if our Lord reigns on high, then he's probably the guy that we need to depend on now more than ever. So any any uh, any last thoughts on Ascension, Pastor? Well, it's, it's wonderful to know that one of us with the same, made of the same flesh and blood that we're made of is, is the Lord of the universe, is mm-hmm. the one, Lord over all things. You know, he fills all things with his grace and his love, and he, and he gives life to to his church, to his people. What a joy. And that's why let's get into the word of God this morning. And pastor, can you begin our time in prayer? I'd be honored. Let us pray. Risen and ascended Lord, we thank and praise you for your, that you have kept your promise to us, that you have risen and you ascended on high to be received by the cloud of, of, of your heavenly father's presence. We ask that you would guide us today. Send us your Holy Spirit, that he may teach the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. And so to that end, uh, we pray that you would uh, direct us to the creation of our dear Holy Spirit, uh, who has caused this holy word to be inspired and written down for our learning. Uh, Grant that we may be guided by him and that we may be drawn more closely to you and the Father, uh, who is one God forever. Amen. Amen. Well, I've said this before. Uh, last time we were together was First Kings chapter 10. And in First Kings chapter right. 10 was where Solomon, he was on, what do they call it? He's on a, um, a gravy train with biscuit wheels. I mean, everything is going perfect. I mean, he has all this money, all this wealth, all every the temple is completed. Queen Sheba is bowing at his feet, giving him all these accolades. And a lot of things start to fall apart. So, But now it's a wild ride. And now we're in chapter 17, where we've seen this king and that king and Jeroboam and Rehoboam and, and all these individuals, Nadab, and everything gets us to chapter 17, which kind of kind of go there with a little bit of a downer feeling. So what is the background that you want to highlight for us today to help us out as we look at chapter 17? 
what's interesting, just a contrast, the, the, there's a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. The southern kingdom is one tribe, the tribe of Judah. And, and incidentally, the, the, the royal family, uh, the house of David continues all the way until, uh, 586 BC when the uh, Babylonians conquer the southern kingdom. But in the north, there's a, a change uh, of, of uh, dynasties. Uh, you know, uh, Jeroboam, the son of Nevat, is uh, overthrown by another, his, not himself, but his son, or, you know, in other words, there's, there are different um, families that come to the throne. And now we're in what is known as the Omri dynasty. Mm. Uh, Om, Omri, and, and so, and that, he was, of course, very, very strong, a very strong dynasty, and his son was Ahab. And Ahab, of course, uh, you know, he, you know, Jeroboam, of course, sinned by setting up the golden calves in Dan and Bethel. And, uh, you know, that's how Jeroboam is called, said the king that made Israel to sin, the ten tribes of the north to sin. And, and, uh, Ahab does him one better. He not only keeps that going, but he also brings in uh, the que- uh, Queen Jezebel from uh, the uh, Phoenicia, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, she she brings her god Baal or Baal, and uh, in Baal Milkart, and and she establishes a a cult uh, of of Baal in in nor- the Northern Kingdom, and also persecutes the prophets. Uh, you know, they will become like a a group of people known as the sons of the prophets. And, uh, and and puts them to death, um, and 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 it's it's really really a difficult time for God's people during this time in the north. Absolutely, and that's why uh, Elijah is so important for us to be able to dig into today, because, like you said, there's a number of connections there, and I want to get there once we read some of the verses. But as we look before, it's easy to be uh, to have despair, but there's little nuggets. I remember. I brought this up last Thursday on Ascension Day um, with Pastor Eckstein, was the, the reality that God always gives us a dab of grace. Dr. Rowald, when I was at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, would always say that. You read, this, you read these Old Testament stories, and let's look for the dab of grace. Um, of course, you always may, when I think of dab, I think of a dab of, of butter you put on your pancakes. So I was always kind of hungry when he brought that up. But anyways, um, a dab of grace. Yeah, well, it helped you remember it. It helped <laughs> it you remember does, it, didn't it? Does, yeah. So a dab of grace that is there. And continuously, he gives us that dab of grace. Josiah that he mentions, um, he sees, uh, uh, oh, shoot. No, I'm not thinking. Ahijah, uh, the prophet, the faithful prophet that was in Shiloh, um, the Lord came to him. Um, and, and that dab of grace. And today, I don't think it's just a little dab. I think it's a whole heap. It's a whole stick of butter, if you say it that way, that we see with Elijah. So that is something I want to get your input on that as well. But are we ready to start, Pastor? Yes, we are. All right. So we are once again in First Kings chapter 17, um, and we are reading from the English Standard Version. We'll just read the first seven verses as we hear of Elijah. Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of Yahweh came to him, to part from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded and the ravens to feed you there. 
So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the, the brook Cherith in the east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. All right, so tell us about Elijah. He seems to have a unique relationship with Ahab, and also the Lord leads him. So give us a rundown of of, of, uh, of, of Elijah during this text. Well, I, I think uh, it's like for the listeners and for the readers, they can kind of see the the similarities with Elijah and John the Baptist. I mean, in, in, in a sense, their, their ministries are somewhat the same. They're dressed the same, obviously. Mm. Um, Elijah, Elijah is, it, we know from 2 Kings 1.8, that says he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather. And that, of course, is like, uh, as, as uh, John, uh, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. He's from Gilead, which was, of course, in the, uh, like across uh, toward the east of uh, what we know now as the uh, Sea of Galilee, like on that that side uh, of you know, and of course that was part of the northern kingdom. But then he goes to this brook Kerith, which is a, a little bit south of there, but it's a it's kind of a main uh, tributary to the River Jordan. Um, I'm trying to. I'm, I'm looking at looking at a map. You know, it's it's, uh, but it's still in the Northern Kingdom as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, he just kind of appears in in on the scene, and 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 his his importance uh, it rivals that of Moses. And and so here he is, of course, you know. And basically, God is saying, you know, I don't like what's going on here. Right. Right. <laughs> There's got to be some changes. <laughs> <laughs> and so. He says there's going to be a drought. Um, and, and I'm trying to fit this all together, that he, he goes, to the, goes to Ahab and said, hey, the Lord God's is going to be a drought. And I, is there other references to this? I mean, we, we know of droughts in the scriptures and so forth, but any, any background with that that you saw? Or I, I'm a little bit confused on what was his relationship with Ahab? Do you ever know anything about that? No, no, we don't. Yeah. He just appears as a prophet of God. The the um, drought is recorded in history. Uh, Josephus, in his Antiquities, mentions this particular drought. And, of course, you have the famine of the time of Joseph. Uh, you know, so mm-hmm. stuff like this was, was going on all the time. And then, of course, you know, in the, in the New Testament times, time of St. Paul and the apostolic times, there was a, there was a great famine during the reign of uh of Claudius, the Emperor Claudius, mm. and and so that's something that that may be a, a problem. But this is, of course, a specific. We know specifically that by the word of God, that is that is um, proclaimed to Ahab that this is the God. God induced this as a as a judgment against his people. And I would say there's there, the dab of grace that I want to find here today is is that the Lord call, says this is going to happen. And the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh, came to Elijah and said, go over to this brook. And he went to that brook, and from there, he seemed to kind of get um, maybe pampered. Can I say it that way? He had some room service, uh, kind of a unique situation when he was there. Any thoughts on what this means? As The Lord obviously brought him to that place for sustenance to make sure that he was safe. But any other connections that you have as he's hanging out with these ravens? (laughs) 
Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's what, what's interesting is that that their faith is in the Lord. I mean, he, he was doing he was endangering his life by going to the king of Israel, a very powerful king, and and, and uh, maybe saying things that were rather uncomfortable. You know, he did. God, of course, uh, catered to his needs a little bit later when after the account were on the Mount Carmel when, when in his, um, yeah. uh, you know, when he challenged the priests of Baal. Uh, he, he went into the wilderness, he was going down to uh, Mount Horeb, or, you know, Mount Sinai, where Moses received the Ten Commandments, and uh, and, and then he's, he, he doesn't care anymore, he's, he's burned out, he, he's saying, there's nobody left, uh, you know, take let me die, and then an angel wakes him up and feeds him, and then he goes in the strength of that food uh, to uh, walk into the mounts of God. So, so in other words, God is there to uh, sustain his prophet. And, and his ministry. And that's a common... So he's there... Keep going. I'm sorry. No, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. He, he sustains, you know, it, it's like us as pastors, too, a lot of times. That when, when, we're, when we feel uh, called upon to, to witness uh, our faith and they maybe tell, tell uh, certain people in the church or, or even witness to the uh, public sector that uh, things are not going in accordance with God's will... Uh, you know, we may suffer consequences of that, and, and God promises to be with us. Now, you know, it's not like we should just take it for granted, I'm just saying, but but I mean that that we always place ourselves in the hands of our God. Absolutely. As his minister, as, and, as, his, as his prophets. Yeah. And, and that's what he does. I mean, to the point where he's trusting in God so much that ravens are feeding him. <laughs> That yeah. there had to have been a point where he's like, this is just weird. Why are they doing this? And obviously you have to trust that the Lord's going to provide. And he did for quite a time. Um, and I see that as a common theme throughout chapter 17, is that when there was a need, God provided for that need. Um, and basically three different narratives that we see in this chapter. So any thoughts on that as we look at the rest of Scripture and how God provides? Well, and, and as we can see, uh, you know, I, I think that it, what's illustrative here is, is what Christ said, that that's something that God wants to teach his people, that people do not live on bread or food alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's why God, one of the reasons, or maybe the main reason, that God had the children of Israel uh, wander in the desert for 40 years, so that they would rely on him. Mm. Um, and, and he is the Lord of the universe. He can, he can, uh, command the ravens to provide food, uh, or he has his army of angels also to, to minister to us. So there, that's their purpose. They're to minister to those who in, will inherit salvation. So, so I think that the idea is here, you know, you know, don't think about human support or, you know, uh, in other words, trust in that but rather trust in the Lord, who also, of course, resources us with human support, you know, because everything is under him. And one of the unique things, too, in verse 7, so it wasn't it wasn't like Solomon, as we saw in chapter—we we talked about, and it was a very powerful chapter, where God gave Solomon all these riches, all this respect, all this uh, um, ability to run a smooth kingdom, at least— for chapter 10. And, and here we see, okay, he got fed. It wasn't like it was the greatest feast of all time. It was simply bread and meat. Um, but the Lord provided and, and then, but the providing was not permanent. 
as we saw with Solomon as well. Verse 7 says, after a while, the brook dried up. And when it dries up, he's going to have to move on. And that's true for us too, that what we have now is not going to be necessary what's there in 20 years. What we have now is not going to be the same as it is even next year, as we learned very well during COVID. Here we see the Lord leading Elijah, and it's a wild ride for him. I mean, here for the next few chapters, it's really a fascinating story of God providing when we needed it. So, I don't know, any, any other thoughts on the first seven verses? Yeah, it, it's um, very comforting. Uh, you know, basically, Elijah was uh, a man. It doesn't say that he was a man after the Lord's own heart, but he was very powerful in the works of God. Mm. And, and so he was God's man, and, and God took care of him. And, and, it's, and it, you know, of course, was witnessed to in his word. Um, and, and, and it's encouraging. That's the dab of the gospel that we have here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's look at the next um, nine verses. And so it, the word of the Lord came to him again, and the widow of Zarephath. And to be able to talk about her and the importance of this, which I think has tons of connections to the New Testament. So I really want to spend quite a bit of time on this because it really does make a wonderful connection for us today. Verses 8 through 16. Then the word of the Lord, Yahweh, came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord Yahweh your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourselves and your son. For thus says the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord Yahweh sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord Yahweh that he spoke by Elijah. So the Lord came to him again. The emphasis here, as you said so well, is the word of the Lord, that man cannot live by bread alone, but by the word of God. And so he continually brings the word back to Elijah. And what does he tell Elijah to do? Well, he tells him to go and uh, to this widow woman. Uh, And, and, you know, it kind of points like God fed him by the the ravens, by the book of Reef. And and here, uh, you know, he's going to command a widow woman to take care of him. And, and so God, of course, blesses us through uh, the people that help us through our lives, too. But, I mean, his, you know, again, it's like you said, there's a transition. There, you know, he, he wasn't able to stay by the Brook Reef for the whole three and a half years, but he uh, was, was uh, you know, directed to uh, Zarephath. Uh, and, and, and there he would receive sustenance for that time. 
And he uses, it's kind of interesting language, and I don't want to look on it too much because there's a lot of culture and we're a little warped in our society, but he kind of goes to this woman and just says, hey, bring me something. <laughs> any any yeah. thoughts on how was he was he not woke for those days, or how do how do we reconcile that in our culture today, Pastor? Well, it's kind of like a situation. She says, "Well, I'd love to help you, but guess what? We don't have any enough food in our house." And and our and, and you know, I used to think that that she was taking the, the sticks or something to prepare, so they would eat the sticks and they would die when I first heard this okay. this uh, Bible account. Uh, it's not what she means. He's just saying all we have is a little bit of of flour and a little bit of water at home, and 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 we're, that's the last of it. We're going to eat it, and then we have no prospects of having any more. So we're just going to sit, uh, you know, just starve to death. Right. That's basically what she's saying. Yeah, that's and that's all that's all she says at that moment. And it brings up a lot of questions about, okay, well how how so now you're expecting her to give him something when they basically are expecting themselves to die. Like they have nothing to give. There is nothing there whatsoever. But yet he still asks. Now clearly the Lord came to him and gave him more instructions than what we see, you know, in scripture. So what did the Lord tell Elijah? Um, well, he, he just basically said, go go find this uh, this widow woman. So evidently, you know, he must have probably was directing him to this woman that was gathering sticks outside of Zarephath. And uh, so, so and that's another thing, uh, that the famine was also, uh, or the drought, actually, the drought, mm-hmm. which becomes a famine, it obviously becomes a famine, was also affecting other nations at the same time. And, and, uh, you know, it, it, well, the other thing is that of course, maybe why didn't he go to the king of, uh, uh, Tyre or Sidon? Why didn't he go to someone that was wealthy? He, right. he goes to a poor widow woman that's, that's gathering sticks, wow. uh, has, has barely enough to eat for herself and her family. That is an interesting insight because yeah. Okay. First of all, go to this brook and ravens will feed you. Okay. All right. And now go to this area that is in famine and to a woman that has nothing. Um, and, and then the Lord will provide makes you really <laughs> question what God's, what God is doing, which we all have to relate with that. There are times we wonder what in the world are you doing but right now? We need to take our break. We are studying first Kings chapter 17 with pastor David Boisclair, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Pastor Sean Smith, host of Concord Matters, where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. Join us as we read through the Book of Concord and look at confessional topics as learned guests and lively discussion will lead us to appreciate how the treasures of the Lutheran confessions apply in the 21st century as much as they did in the 16th. So join us every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central on KFUO Radio or on demand through the Concord Matters podcast. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. And welcome back. We are studying First Kings chapter 17 with Pastor David Boisclair. And Pastor, I wanted to take a, a little bit of a step back, and then I want to get to the, the significance of, of what, what happened where the Lord kept providing. But Elijah, like you said, connects us to John the Baptist. 
very clearly. The the clothing's very similar. His message is very similar, um, and and what he did. But what are the other times that we hear of Elijah, especially in the New Testament, that makes us makes us realize how important he is? Is there other moments? Yes. Uh, well, see the um, the last words of the Old Testament, of course, which is Malachi four verses five and six, mm-hmm. where it says. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of Yahweh comes, and he will turn the hearts of the of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Mm. Uh, and that, uh, and, and in a sense, so that, and that is something that's that's very deeply ingrained even in, in uh, the, the Jewish faith as well, because on, on the Passover, when they celebrate the Passover, there's one point during the Seder meal that a child, one of the, the sons of the family, goes and goes to the front door and sees if Elijah's out there. Because if Elijah's out there, then that means that it's the end of the world. Ah. And and so, uh, and, and, and in like in the case of, of uh, when Jesus, well, when John was uh, questioned by the by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they said, "Are you Elijah?" Now, uh, John says, "No," <laughs> but you know maybe he's saying no. Uh, in the way you think of Elijah, it's not, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't, and maybe you, that was not a, something revealed to John the Baptist, but obviously our Lord Jesus says he is Elijah for those, you know, who can accept it. So that Jesus, of course, identifies John the Baptist with Elijah when, when they're, they're you know, they, they speak about, you know, it was a time when he, when John the Baptist was in prison for confronting Herod Antipas and, and he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him whether, you know, are you the Christ or is there, or we're looking for someone else? And of course, Jesus says, look at what you're seeing here. You know, go <laughs> tell him that. Then he ta- talks about John the Baptist. He says, you know, when you went out into the wilderness, did you go to uh, see a weed shaking in the wind or a king in the king's palace? No. And you saw a prophet and more than a prophet. You know, he is the forerunner of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what, that's the prophecy in Malachi's gospel about Elijah. Now, it's, it's interesting that I remember there was a gentleman who was saying, well, well, is John the Baptist a reincarnation of Elijah? Mm. And, and, you know, when I mentioned that to one, a, a brother, uh, he said, well, well, John the Baptist, or, or, or Elijah never died. You know, so there's no, there's no, stand, oh, there's no mm-hmm. disconnection. You know, he was carried up into heaven by a whirlwind. Now, of course, that's not what the scripture means. The scripture speaks about it's a type. You know, the the Elijah was Elijah, a prophet in the Old Testament that bore God's word to his uh, erring people in the Old Testament, and he is a type or a kind of John the Baptist, who is the the fulfillment of that in the New Testament that points us and prepares a way for our Lord Jesus Christ. And that, and that, there's the symbolic nature of this too. And I know we'll get to this as we continue to look at Elijah. But it's good to hit it now too. That Jesus is in the Mount of Transfiguration. He sees Moses, and they see Moses and Elijah. How can we make that connection of of the importance of Elijah and Jesus as he shows up at the Mount of Transfiguration? Well, one of the things that Jesus emphasized in his ministry is that the law and the prophets bear witness to him. Now, what does he mean by that? He means the five books of Moses, which is the Torah or law. That's that's the most important part of the Hebrew scriptures. 
you know, even among uh, the Jewish faith. And of course, it's it's very very important to us in the Christian faith in our old Old Testament. But also Elijah is representing the prophets, which is the second part. You know, then then Jesus in in Luke's Gospel at the end uh, speaks of the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And the Psalms, of course, are known is what we know as the writings, because there's another uh, category of the books of the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament. But Elijah and Moses show that all of Scripture, at that time, of course, there was no New Testament. All of Scripture bears witness to Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that is very helpful to show that, you know, and, and one of the things, too, in the Mount Transfiguration is that, all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah disappear, and then there's Jesus showing us that obviously these guys were there to point to this guy, you know, and and that's an important distinction as well, as you said, as you said for us this morning, that when we look at Elijah, um, it tells in other parts of Scripture, James chapter five says that he was a man just like us, so we don't want to look at him any higher than another human being that the Lord chose to be his prophet. And he prayed earnestly, and then rain came after three and a half years. So obviously he was a patient, faithful man who was willing to allow even ravens to feed him, even prayer for rain to wait three and a half years. So he was given also the gift of patience. So I wanted to, I wanted to make sure we ran down a little bit more with Elijah because how vital he is and in all reality, how little he's actually spoken about in Scripture, how important he is. Any last thoughts on Elijah before we get to the the jars of flour that never stop giving? I, I think we pretty well covered it, and and uh, uh, in in a sense, it, it shows. You know, it, it's interesting. Everybody's made movies of of uh, the great uh, heroes of the Old Testament, even of David and Solomon, but that you know, there's there's no uh, really. Uh, great movies ever made of Elijah's ministry. That, mm. That's a very dramatic, uh, exciting ministry that he had. And then, and also his, uh, uh, he is of course the one who was succeeded by Elisha, True. you know, Elijah and Elisha <laughs> and, uh, just a really, uh, exciting and, and comforting, uh, history for us. Well, I tell you what, if Mel Gibson, you are listening to us this morning, we have a new movie for you to create. So, Elijah, that is what you need to make. Uh, So, anyways, or anybody else who's listening this morning, here is a great opportunity for you. Anyways, so take a step back to the the widow of Zarephath. And, And he finds his widow, says, can I have some food? And she's like, we don't have much. We don't have to the point where we eat this and we're probably gonna die. And he said, do not fear, make me a little cake and then give some to yourself. For the Lord, the God of Israel says that the flour will not be spent. And she followed and he did it. And, and it just reminds me quite a bit of other parts of scripture where the Lord provides in the most unlikely of scenarios. I first of all think of the feeding of the 5,000. We have five, five loaves and two fish. And how are we going to feed, you know, 5,000 people? Well, 5,000 men, probably even more, you know, maybe 20,000 people total. And here he does something very similar. Are there other parts of Scripture that show us that the Lord provides in the most unlikely of situations? Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's, um, it's interesting where um, you, you have um, in, in the ministry of, um, uh, of Christ where 
he sustained um, that. Um, I, I get, nothing comes. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of struggling too. Um, I was hoping you had it right well, on I mean, top even of your tongue. With Elijah, <laughs> you know, he's he's giving up. You you can kind of see how a, a person that's at the end of his rope. Right. He doesn't care where he die. He wants to die. He you know after the you know a little bit later as as you will discover as you continue in First Kings. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's like he's out there in the wilderness. He doesn't care. He doesn't have any food with him. And all of a sudden, there's an angel there that, that provides, uh, that, that uh, gives him a barbecue. So, uh, right. some, some food right there. Or even even the children of Israel, they, they'd always grumble and complain. Uh, you know, we don't mm-hmm. have any food out here. You know, and God rains down bread from heaven, the manna, and the quails in the, in the evening. I mean, there they are in the in the midst of a thirsty ground, and they're and they're sustained by by their God. And so, is that she did exactly what Elijah said? Is that she went made a little cake? I like how it says that little cake and bring it to me. And the jar of flour was not spent; it meant it just kept flowing. Neither did the jug of oil become empty, according once again to the word of the Lord Yahweh. And this reminds me, one time I heard Pastor Will Whedon speak about the feeding of the 5,000. That I think there's always a lot of visions we have of that feeding of the 5,000. Like, how was that possible? Like, did he kind of go in the back room and, and separate it all? Or, or how did this exactly happen? But more or less, uh, Will Whedon, or Pastor Whedon, talked about how it was almost like they took a piece of bread off of that and gave it out, and it just, it just kept going. Like, it's not something that anybody really noticed. Like, wow, look at that. You pull it off and it just stays there. But it just kept going. How does it happen? They don't know. But all they could tell was that the Lord was working in this in this time. And you could probably envision the same thing. It wasn't like they were near the bottom. All of a sudden, it filled up instantly. But you could tell that the Lord just kept giving and piece by piece, uh, you know, a cup by cup of flour, uh, uh, what do you call it, a couple ounces at a time of the oil, and it just never went away because the Lord continued to provide. Other thoughts on this? Yes, I think, in, and again, it's in, in accordance with the word word of the Lord and, and, God's, and God's will. And it's interesting where a lot of times people, our brothers and sisters in Christ might say, well, God is doing this or that, you know, in, in a sense, you, you, you can't, you know, say that, well, God spoke to me or, you know, he speaks to us through his word, you know, word and sacrament. Uh, in, in this particular case, it's, you have like biblical warrant for, uh, we know where it comes from and we know what's going to happen because God reveals it in his word that it's going to happen. And so we're kind of, we're kind of limited, uh, to, to his, uh, means of grace in order to, uh, but but then we understand that God cares for us, loves us. Uh, you know, our Lord Jesus, his ministry was a ministry of healing. And so that's why the church, too, uh, endows hospitals and, and provides, uh, you know, medical missions and other things. And, 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 of course, he does it through other people. I mean, it doesn't have to be uh, miracle or direct, which it can be if he wants it. But it, it's done through other people. That, you know, in other words, that God has these intermediaries, like the angels, like uh, the people of God, which are able to come to the help of others. And this reminds me of the first article of the small catechism, the creed. And, and this is where I want your input here as well, because I know for me, especially when COVID started and you're starting to wonder, how is this all going to fit together, is the, 
says it so well in the first article of the Creed in Luther's small catechism is that I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And he talks about, he also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all that I have. Uh, that I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. And here he's proving to Elijah that I will richly and daily provide for you and those around you with what you need to support this body and life. I have a tendency to not always trust that, Pastor. What would you tell somebody who's always like, I don't know if God's going to provide for me here? How would you describe that, especially in light of what God's doing for Elijah? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it sees that um, a lot of times we can see God's blessing in the fact that he averts, uh, you know, troubles and, and, and calamities from coming to us. Uh, but but uh, that's when we turn to him in prayer. Um, but because he promises to care for us, uh, you know, it, you know, a lot of times, you know, I've noticed in my own life, if, if, if I've kind of gone to the end of my rope and I, I just said, you know, I remember one time praying to God, uh, you know, for, for at least some his sustaining grace and, and, and helping that he answered, uh, my prayer and, and, and provided for me, you know, uh, you know, basically that it's it, in a sense, we can also say that, that when we experience want in this way, that that's, that's when uh, we're, we rely upon the Lord. That's when we turn to the Lord. And, and, and I, I think that, that the parallel you made with the first article of the creed is just, is just absolutely uh, really at work here. Look at how he provided for the widow of Zarephath. How will he not more, more richly provide you in, in the land of America with, with uh, uh, you know, sustenance? Uh, you know, there, there, there's always, there's always uh, hope and promise. Absolutely. And so, and this is something that leads us to the final one, where we, we have to be careful how we talk about how the Lord provides here, but also is Easter season still. I mean, it's Ascension Easter season, and we can see clearly what we often would call the now but not yet dynamic that we live with as Christian people. So let's finish off our reading, uh, verses 17 through 24. 17 through 24. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of... Excuse me. I turn this, O man of God. You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord Yahweh, O Yahweh, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord Yahweh in your mouth is truth. Now this, this is a wonderful story as well. 
it reminds me of other parts in scripture, such as um, Lazarus, that, you know, Lazarus had clearly died. There's <clears throat> the young boy that had clearly died. Um, the young girl that he said she is just sleeping clearly had died. And now we hear it in the Old Testament, which is quite fascinating. As you said, Elijah is a type of Christ, so he points us to that reality. But tell us more about the story, um, kind of a rundown, a summary of what happened right here in these verses. Well, it's it's kind of like um, it seems as if Elijah himself is, you know, he, he, he maybe he's a little bit troubled by it as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, because he had no word from the Lord that said, well, this, this woman's son is going to die. Uh, he, um, and, and notice how he's very bold in his prayer. You know, he says, uh, you know, you know, God, of course, in Scripture says, "I bring calamity and I bring uh, blessing." You know, good and good and evil. Now, the, the word "evil" that's used there does not mean mean evil like the devil and sin, but it means sometimes God. Uh, you know, He will say if He's responsible for it to the calamity that they're undergoing. You know, they were undergoing that drought, and now here's the the death of the son of of the uh, you know Elijah's uh, host. And, 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 you know, it's, you know in, in a sense, it's kind of instructive on prayer, too. I mean, like Luther says, you know, go, in, go privately in, in your prayers and just, uh, you know, bear your heart to God. Uh, you know, and he's, he's kind of, in a sense, he's kind of a little bit bold in his prayer, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, it, as he tells us to, to ask, you know, ask, seek not, the Lord tells us. And he's definitely asking, seeking, and knocking at the, the Lord's door, saying, this is what I want. And it's, it's interesting because it gives us our perspective on prayer, that the Lord doesn't say, well, you can pray for this, but you can't pray for that. It sounds to me like he's even willing to hear these kind of prayers, which is, Lord, revive or resurrect this child. So any, any thoughts on that? with the kind of prayer that Elijah gives, I mean, what does this show us as Christian people? Well, it, obviously it's kind of like for something, you know, there might be some times where you see something happen in your life, uh, like somebody uh, has a fatal disease or, uh, you know, or, or something that you might think that, well, it's, it's probably, you know, it's probably not going to do any good, but I'll just pray anyway or something like that. I mean, it, this is not, of course, uh, the way the way that we should be. But any time that we pray to the Lord, if we pray for spiritual blessings like faith or or strength in faith, we, we ask it unconditionally. Right. But if we're asking for something uh, which is uh, for, for our physical well-being, we always ask it in accordance with His will. And... Um, and this, this of course, in this particular situation, this is of course the right direction to go. Uh, and and like there are, there's like a number of incidents. I'm, I'm also reminded of of when the Apostle Paul was uh, preaching a little bit too long into the night at, at the church in Troas or wherever, and Eutychus, the young man, is uh, falls asleep in the window, and, and he falls out of the building. <laughs> And then, and Paul stretches himself over him, and then, and then, of course, the Eutychus's wife is returned. Also, Elisha, Elijah's um, uh, the next prophet after Elijah is also with the Shunammite that he uh, lives with. Uh, her son is 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 dies, and and he too uh, has to turn to the Lord. The Lord is the Lord of life, 
And and uh, it's interesting the words that are used here. But it, it mentioned the life came back to him. Guess what the word is? Nephish. That's the word we use for soul. You know, the boy's soul left him, and then at the at the will of God, that the soul returned to his body. And that's and that, that is an important thing for us to look at. Like you said, Eutychus is another resurrection reality that happened that happened here as well. Um, and and he and he asks a prayer, a prayer that almost is a, a prayer of lament. She laments to him. And for him, he's like, wait a second here. You brought calamity even upon this widow whom I'm with. I mean, come on. I'm the guy who had ravens feed food to me. You know, I'm the guy that, that did all these things, and now this is going to happen to me? And it reminds me of the Psalms of Lament, specifically Psalm 6, where it talks about how uh, basically, but you, O Lord, how long are you going to be here? What in the world are you doing? And that's an important piece for us as Christian people, too, is how can we learn how to pray and to be able to, in some ways, be angry with God, to be like, what in the world are you doing? I do not like this. Where are you, O Lord, and turn from this evil that's happening to me and help me? And that's the kind of prayer that he gives here. Any thoughts on prayers of lament and and this story as well? I think that's a that's a beautiful illustration of that, and it it teaches us so much about our own life in the Lord. It, you know, a lot of times people will say, "Well, you know, someone is given a diagnosis of cancer, and and they think, well, I'm going to die." You know, uh, but then you pray to the Lord, and and perhaps uh, the cancer um, is healed. Uh, you know, ultimately, we we must recognize the fact that that uh, the. Our times are in his hands. It's up, up to him to decide what, what happens. And, and, and it's interesting, the scriptures speak many times that he's, he, he refreshes us. Evening, you know, like the psalmist also says, it says, weeping may tarry for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Right. You know, his, his anger is for a moment, but his love is forever. It's so touching. It's, I think, the, like you said, the, the, the lament psalms are so precious to God's people. One of the things I wanted to ask, and this is a pastoral question, and it's good for all of us to consider. Someone can read this, and then let's say that their child, um, or to say my own child, is one that gets sick, or my bride, or me. And we, we see something like this, and we say, Lord, um, heal me. Heal, heal my family. Heal, heal my family member, so forth. And it doesn't work, you know, either I, I, um, I, I get more sick or my children, you know, get more sick and then they die. Um, a family member, these prayers that we just pour ourselves out to the Lord and it doesn't happen. How would you describe how we're able to look at this passage today and to apply that to our everyday life when someone says to you as a pastor, as a Christian, and says, how come it didn't work um, how, how do we reconcile all that together? Well, I think one of the things that we should remember is this life is not all that there is. That uh, if uh, our loved one dies in the faith, they are in the place that is far better. Even as the Apostle Paul says, you know, I have a delight to desire to be to part and be with Christ, which is far better. God, you know, God knows what's best for us. And if it's better for us for him to take us out of this life, then, then um, you know, his will be done. Um, it, it, it's comforting because it's not, you know, 
in other words, our, our life with God is not going to end with our death, our physical death. Um, we have the promise of, of life to come, that even at the instant that we uh, leave this life, we will be with Christ. Today you shall be with me in paradise. Uh, and and that's, that's the hope and the comfort. That's what we're, that's, that's our, our true goal. That's our true, the true destination that we have as God's people. And, and, um, you know, that, that's comforting. And, 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 and again, it's just, we have to just accept that his hand, that he knows best how to uh, lead us in our lives. And, but the, but the thing is, is that, that, uh, especially during those times that God, we should pray like the man said, when he brought his son to Jesus to be healed from a demon, he said, the Lord, I believe help my unbelief, you know, call on him for strength during these times. As it says in Romans chapter 8, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And this is not long after. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. One of the hardest things in faith is to accept that when something happens, that the Lord is going to work through this situation that if it's a sudden death or it's a sudden um, tragedy that happens for us, that we realize that, yes, we live in a broken world, but we do know that the Lord will work through all things. And what what we might not call good is what the Lord is continuing to do. And we ask him to help us while we grieve and as we look forward with hope. What that Our theme today, that the Lord will provide. Pastor, we have just about about three minutes left of our time together this morning, and we've gone through the chapter, and it's quite a powerful chapter, but how would you summarize um, this chapter and that how it relates to us today as we look at all three of these uh, stories in this in, in chapter 17? It's, it's interesting that it is the these calamities or these these tragedies that happen in the lives of the people of that time. Uh, you know, like the woman, the um, widow of Zarephath saying to Elijah, you know, you're reminding me of my sins. Uh, you know, as we see the, the hardships that people are undergoing or maybe hardships that we're undergoing, you know, it reminds us of the fact that, uh, you know, we are born as enemies of God, as, as sinners, and that and that uh, every, every calamity that happens is, is what we deserve. But uh, there is forgiveness with the Lord, there is there is mercy. He shows mercy to his prophets. He shows mercy to this uh, widow woman and her family. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of like it's so instructive for us as well that that we should turn to God in humility and prayer uh, when we undergo hardships and and trials, and and recognize the fact that that it is all a blessed thing because it turns us to Jesus, who is the uh, our our life and our life our light and our life. <laughs> Pastor David Boyce Claire from Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Church in Pine Lawn, Missouri, given us God's strong word this morning from First Kings chapter 17. Pastor Boyce Claire, thank you again for being our guest. It's, it's a blessing and, and thank you and thank all your listeners. Saints of our Lord, in the middle of a drought, the Lord provided for Elijah by the brook, when food was needed um, for the widow in Zarephath, God provided flour and oil in a miraculous way. And when there was death, God provided a resurrection. This does not necessarily show us that every time we pray, there'll be a resurrection. Every time we pray, there'll be an unending flour. But it does remind us that the Lord will provide now 
and also at that final resurrection when we go to be at home with him. He provides for all of our needs, especially this Easter season where we know that the Lord is risen and no matter what happens, we know that there will be a resurrection, which is why we say and continue to say this Easter season, Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands. Thank you.